This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. In the last episode, you got to meet Lolly Daskal, and she talked a lot about what's getting between you and your greatness. She calls it the leadership gap. So if you've ever been wondering what's standing between you and the results that you desire, make sure you go back and listen to episode 30. In this episode, we're going to talk about something that is at the core of what I have learned from Gary Keller and Jay Papazan since I started working on the One Thing team. I'm actually standing in Jay's office right now, and I'm staring at the whiteboard in the top left-hand corner in permanent marker. It has a quote, or it's really a question. How do we become the business that'll put us out of business? Now, what this means is when you look at your business... If you want to build something that's truly going to last not just years or even decades, but possibly lifetimes, you have to be able to fend off all the competitive threats. You have to be able to continually engage your customers. At the heart of doing this is a simple word, innovation. What does it mean to innovate though? Do you know how you can bring innovation into your life, whether that be in your business or your personal life, so that every single day when you are waking up, you're constantly looking out and asking, what is the business that is going to put us out of business? And how do I create it first? This is something that Gary Keller has done now three times, as far as I'm aware, with Keller Williams, where he has completely redefined what the company is. It's not just a real estate company. It became a training and education company. And today... It was recently announced that Keller Williams now identifies itself as a technology company. Why is that? It's because that constant innovation is required in order to remain a viable business in the marketplace. And today, we're going to have a conversation with somebody who reached out to us, who is a local Austinite. He's an author, a speaker, a consultant, and the new author of the book, Ignite, Setting Your Culture on Fire with Innovation. With that, let's get into my conversation with David J. Neff. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Bringing innovation into your company, how did this even become a part of your wheelhouse? A great question. When I started my career, I was at the American Cancer Society, and obviously nonprofits are not known necessarily for being very innovative, but American Cancer Society, big national nonprofit, was really pushing that, and they had something called the Futuring and Innovation Center, where they found the best ideas, put funding behind them. Uh, and launched them as new products. And I was just fascinated by this, um, uh, coming right out of school and being you know, one or two years in. And I thought of a good idea, applied, and, and got funding 
uh, and that just hooked me on this idea of internal innovation programs. As you talk about it, it makes me think of Google and their 20% time, how employees are able to dream up their ideas and invest 20% of their time just advancing these dreams. And I mean, some of the greatest products they've created were innovated out of this 20% time. That's right. Absolutely. And this was the same idea, but maybe uh, four or five years before they had it. I think there's always been skunk works. If you think of Lockheed Martin and, and the way they designed some of their jet fighters in the 70s and even in the late 60s, there's always been these internal skunk works where folks can have a really good idea and operate on it on their own time to create something uh, original and innovative. So this was just uh, yet another take on that. So, you know, the people in in the intro got to hear my take on why innovation is important and how it's deeply ingrained in what Gary Keller has has brought to Keller Williams. What would you suggest to people? Why should they care about innovation? Yeah, I think uh, I think you nailed it. That idea of rebirth, uh, the idea of you need to find what could be disrupting you and act on it. It's very important. I think the way that we get people excited about it is we often don't think of our own employees, uh, whether we have a dozen, whether we have a hundred or whether we have thousands. We just kind of ignore the fact that we hire really smart people and often don't listen when they have an idea that's outside of what they do on a daily basis. And I, I think that's what our book is trying to change. All right. So I'm, I'm a business owner. I I buy into the idea that I constantly need to innovate, that I, I'm not just building something so that it can last a few years. I would actually like it to scale and be able to scale beyond me and you know, not only provide wealth for my family, but for generations to come. That's a great idea. It, it gets me going. The challenge is I have these limiting beliefs around how do I do that? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the internal question, and I and and at my day job, I work at a company called Clearhead, and and we're a problem company. We go and we help you find and set the right objectives, define your goals, and then what are the problems getting in the way of doing that? And I think about that a lot. I think about as you said in the intro, if I'm thinking about what other businesses are doing or what could come in and disrupt me, those are problems. How do I identify those problems and how do I start to put hypotheses that I can test behind those and actually go and test things out? And a lot of times these great ideas are ones that come out of problems, right? We think of Google's um, 20% time um, and we think of some of the problems that engineers were trying to solve that came out of that. AdWords, um, uh, we think of Google Chat, we think of some of the other programs that came out of that. It's really these very innovative companies think through, they love their problems, they don't just jump to a solution. They sit down and they strategically think, what are the problems I'm seeing with my business and what would solve those? And a lot of times that's where those innovations come from. Well, this is something that's core to what we have, what I've been doing since I came on board. I, rem- I remember when Gary and Jay said, go create a product based on the one thing. And I thought to myself, I can wing it, I can guess, but what's the real problem that people are having? And we, we surveyed our list and 4,000 people very specifically said time blocking and battling distractions. And I went, oh my gosh, they don't, they don't get this. And that's why we created Time Blocking Mastery. It's why we just closed the doors to the founding member group for our membership platform because we would, instead of assuming we want to work closely with people and identify exactly what the problems are and then create the solutions. So what I'm hearing you say is that if we want to bring innovation to our company, first thing we have to do is first and foremost, identify the problems that our customers are, or our, that our employees are facing. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. So if I'm a business owner, 
let's assume that I know what the problems are that I need to, 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 to follow. How do I actually start bringing innovation into my company? That's a great question. I, I think we often can concentrate on surface problems of, um, I don't like the user interface on my website, or maybe my search isn't working well, or whatever your product is, um, there's these surface issues. That's a web example, um, but obviously there's others. But really, we want you at this phase to step back and look across people, process, technology, and culture. There's these underlying problems um, that you'll see in your business. And sometimes that innovation doesn't have to be a Google-style innovation, right? It doesn't need to be um, uh, some radical software platform for better collaboration. Sometimes it has to do with really tough things to fix, like culture or people or even uh, what you think is a process, but when you onboard new people, they quickly realize that this isn't a good process. And so we really want folks to step back and think about those fundamental problems when they think about innovation. So why go out and build an amazing software platform if when you take it back inside your company, uh, there's not a process around it, or the culture doesn't accept things built from the inside. They only listen to people outside of your company, as a lot of us have problems with our culture with that. Uh huh. Well, it's it's interesting. I have a, a close friend. Um, I'll I'll change the the industry that he's in and, and certain things just to protect the the integrity of of his identity. But he's in he's in a very uh, conservative industry, let's just say, and he works for a very large company, very well respected. The problem is uh, this guy is super super talented. He they would be crazy to not move him into a different division, which is what he's really passionate about. But the culture of the company doesn't even acknowledge or facilitate those types of trans those types of conversations. So if he were to do that, he could literally be hanging himself. It, w- it would be career suicide internally, and he's likely going to have to leave that organization in order to do what he really wants to do. That that company already does. Right. Right. Absolutely. So what what does it look like if we... I love what you said. It really oftentimes can start with the culture. If I want to establish that culture of innovation, what what can I do as the business owner to start facilitating those conversations so that people even feel comfortable to submit those ideas so that when the ideas are submitted, that they're actually being heard and considered and implemented? Yeah, you need to have a culture that really celebrates uh, entrepreneurs and hires entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, those people who are willing to take risks, to go a little above and beyond what they do on their nine to five or their uh, Austin 10 to six job and really take on a project and and run with it. And you need entrepreneurs uh, from the outside to hire in who are used to doing that, who are used to taking their own ideas and actually creating a product and going through all the steps involved in that. And only slowly over time, as you start to hire those entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs do you really start to build the right culture to allow idea and innovation programs to flourish? Well, so I'll touch on a few things for for people who don't know what we mean by entrepreneurs. And this is something that Gary Keller holds very, very dear to his heart and the way that he operates. Um, you, you, You have the employees, you have the entrepreneurs. An entrepreneur is somebody who acts as an entrepreneur inside of your organization. Frankly, that's what I am. I, when I was an employee in medical device sales, I wanted to go out and create my own business. The challenge is, I really live by that Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I did not know how to start a business. When I realized there was an opportunity to step inside Gary and Jay's world as an employee, I am a W-2 employee, but I am acting as an entrepreneur. 
that is an entrepreneur. I'm doing it inside of Gary and Jay's world. And, and Gary has always had this motto that um, if you can give yourself permission to make your world so big that any talented individual can step inside your world and have everything they could possibly ever want without leaving, that's when you start building an empire. So can you go out and create or, and recruit those type of people who are entrepreneurs, who are destined to build an empire and paint a vision so big that they realize they can have everything they want inside your world? That's when you really start to have this massive growth. Uh, but for you, David, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this. I'm going, all right, I still get it on a theoretical level. I'm talking practical. Like, I want to do this. I want to create this in my company. What's the first thing I need to do? When you want to start an innovation program and really launch this, really unlock that ideation engine uh, that is the employees that work for you, there are six main steps. I'm going to go through them at a very high level. We obviously have all of the details uh, in the book and on our website and various other places about how to do this. Uh, the first one is decide you even want an innovation program. You need to create a process. It's not the sexiest thing in the world, um, but there needs to be a solid process with very transparent means to see where ideas are, how they're collected, and where they go. So you need executive buy-in for that. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you need a culture that says, yes, we want an innovation program. Number two is identify your review panel. Who are the smart, intelligent, political, well-connected people in your company from all sorts of different places that can actually review these ideas once a month and decide, do they go to the next round? Um, is this something that already exists, but this employee didn't know about it? It all depends on those folks. And, and they also not only are just sitting there like some sort of shark panel judging people, they're also mentors and coaches as ideas go through the program. You pick one idea to move to the next round, um, especially as we think about small, um, lean companies. We want to concentrate. We want to try this process out and make sure it works. Wait, I thought it's helpful to divide your focus on as many things as possible to diversify. <laughs> uh, that, is, uh, that is not correct. <laughs> oh, oh, somebody should write a book about that. <laughs> That's right. They should. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much in line uh, with the great book that this podcast is based on. Uh, pick one idea and watch as it goes through the process. The next step is... Does that entrepreneur, that internal entrepreneur, just have a big idea, but they don't have follow through? We know lots of folks in our daily lives that have a thousand ideas, but rarely get one off the ground and running. So go back. Your idea has been picked. Now write a business plan. My favorite modern form of the business plan is something called Lean Canvas, and uh, that will really help you focus your idea and answer what the problem is that your idea is solving. You have the entrepreneur complete that business plan. Now you review that business plan and you decide on funding. When I was at the American Cancer Society eight years ago, I got $25,000 to develop an app. Um, which is not a lot, but it was a, a lot back then. And it got a prototype up and out the door. And then the last step is launch, test, and learn. Did it fail? Did no one download your app or whatever your idea was? What does that look like? And how can you pivot based on that idea? And those six steps make up the innovation program we outline in our book. So let me just recap them for people just to make this this super crystal clear. And, and we've included this in, this in the show notes below this episode. But step one is you, you just have to commit to creating the program. So create the program. 
that requires the executive buy-in. It requires you to announce it to people. But bottom line, create the program. Second, you have to identify your review panel, the people that will review the ideas and coach and mentor the people who bring the ideas to the table. You pick one idea to move forward, have that person write the business plan for it. You review the business plan and decide if you're going to fund it. And should you fund it, you launch it, you test it, and you learn from that launch. Is that correct, David? That's exactly correct. So this is hearing you talk about this is super interesting to me because I didn't realize this is exactly what happened with the company Gary, Jay, and I are building. And here's what I mean. Gary and Jay wrote the one thing. It did really well. They looked up and said, hmm, maybe there's something more here. Gary had already created the type of culture where he viewed Keller Williams as an incubator. So he, he wants to have top talent inside KW. He wants to give himself permission to make his world as big as it needs to be so these people can have everything they could possibly want and remain in his world. He says to Jay, go recruit somebody that this could be their one thing and they could turn this into an empire. I came that that so that was the 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 innovation program was already created because the culture existed. The review panel was Gary and Jay. It was already in place. They picked an idea, turned the book into a productivity empire. They had me come in and write a business plan. They said yes. They funded it. And over the last year and a half, roughly now, we have been launching, we've been testing. I have been failing flat on my face an awful lot, but we are learning a lot as well, and we're still moving forward. That's fantastic. And 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 that is a perfect example of of how this worked and including something that we just talked about, they hired someone who had that entrepreneurial drive to make this happen, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I remember asking Jay, why in the world did you hire some guy who was in medical device sales to run this company? <laughs> like what, what what's wrong with you guys? What do you think? <laughs> and he said, "Well, Gary's one thing is being chairman of Keller Williams. My one thing is writing books. We needed somebody whose one thing was the one thing. And the specific skill sets we were looking for were X, Y, and Z, which happened to be my exact pedigree, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was nuts. That's super interesting. So, you know, there's um there's a book I will suggest to people as well um, outside of David's, there, a book that Gary had us read called Exponential Organizations. When you look at a lot of the big companies of today, the Facebooks, the Airbnbs, the Ubers, they're not these linear companies. They're ex, they grow exponentially. And in part of the chapter, they talk about what does it look like to turn an existing organization into an exponential organization. They talk about finding that person who can be that entrepreneur, having them come to the table with the idea, and then putting some funding to them, putting them on the outskirts of the organization, starve them for resources and see if they can sink or swim on their own. And then you get to decide, does it remain in this organization? Does it become its own entity? And you go from there. Yeah, that's... an. Very, very interesting book too. And I I think that speaks to a lot. And all those companies you mentioned too have internal innovation programs or have their employees uh, working on things outside of their main job function uh, that may turn into products or a process or some sort of technology that benefits the business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, outside of what I'm aware just from reading books like Exponential Organizations, what are some companies that maybe are are a little smaller, a little bit more palatable for most of the people who are listening to this that have demonstrated this? 
Yeah, one of my favorites is uh, Michael Lewis, who's the founder and CEO of Forever Collectibles. Um, they're a small business that does uh, a lot of manufacturing, officially licensed sports and novelty products. They had a, a young staffer suggested to them that they really needed to get into this business of sports-themed ugly sweaters. I think we've all seen that ugly sweater uh, theme. We've seen it kind of grow over the years into a big business. But this was five or six years ago. Uh, and now this one idea from this one employee um, is realizing $10 million a year in ugly sweater sales. What Lewis didn't really understand was this trend, right? And I think this is a great example for a lot of small business owners is that these trends can come in and really disrupt your business. Uh, or as we have talked about earlier in the interview, you can get ahead of that trend. You can mm -hmm. spot it and take advantage of it. And I think that's what they did really, really well here. And again, their innovation program, even though the CEO, Michael Lewis, was doubtful of this, and I don't understand ugly sweaters, I don't think it's a thing, through their innovation program, which is very lean, it probably doesn't have all of the steps I just described, um, but yet there's the spark there and the understanding of bringing in these outside trends. They made a prototype, ran with it, went and got a prototype. And by a prototype, I mean a sweater uh, that was ugly, that had some NFL licensing on it. Uh, and they got that done in about a week and a half. They went back, presented to the CEO. The CEO said, you know what? Uh, we don't want to tick off our licensees. They went, they showed it to the licensees at the NFL and some other sports leagues, and they loved it. And ever since then, Michael Lewis is now convinced because the bottom line uh, is showing him that this was a good idea. Uh, and I just love that story because it's one employee spotting a trend, developing a rapid prototype in two weeks of this ugly sweater uh, and showing it to his boss and then his boss launching it <laughs> and they test it and they can see through sales that it's working. So that's just a great example of innovation at small business. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So here, here's what I would suggest for the people who are listening to this. This is very, uh, very Darwinistic. Is that word Darwinistic? I think that's a, that's a good way to say it. Did sure. I just make it up? You know, it, it's survival <laughs> of the fittest. Whether you're an employee, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an entrepreneur, every single day, you have to find ways to stay in business. You, if you're an employee, you have to find ways to continue to bring value to the organization so that they can't afford to live without you. If you are a business owner, the market gets to dictate it. How do you constantly reinvent yourself? Somebody is going to pop up with a great idea that will one day put you out of business if you don't do it first. Look at what's happening with the hotel chains right now. What do you think would have happened? I, they are wishing right now that they had a while ago said, all right, guys, we, we realized that maybe this model isn't working. What if there was a way we could do something different? You know, Then Airbnb wouldn't be the powerhouse that it is today. If the taxi lobbies had gotten together and said, hey, guys, we really need to re disrupt the way that we're doing business and somebody else is going to do it or we can do it ourselves, Uber would not have the stake that it has today. We, I can go on for days on all of these modern monopolies. Facebook, you know, they're all over the place. Reinvent yourself or be put out of business. The end. That's right. That's right. And it, you know, it's all about how do you enable your employees to do that? Because 
you know, Jeff, you could do that by yourself all day if you wanted to, but you have a job. You have a thousand other things that you're working on as part of your one thing. And what you need is to unlock that potential, uh, hire the best, hire the smartest people you possibly can. And as you said earlier in the interview, uh, and as Gary says, give them room to run, right? Give them space to build things. And I think that this is a great way to empower your employees, to spot those trends, to bring them to you and for you to act on them and do something about it. Whether you're a, a giant Fortune 100 company or whether you make collectibles and ugly sweaters, um, those lessons still apply. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it makes me think back to the auto manufacturers. You had the American manufacturers where it was very top down. And then you had the Japanese manufacturers where the people who were on the front lines were given the power to stop the production line if something wasn't working. They were the ones who were closest to the product, not the person sitting in the ivory tower who got to make decisions. They empowered people at the bottom levels, the grassroots who were close to the business to make choices. And, you know, we, we know what happened there. <laughs> the American car makers went through a period of, uh, let's just say challenges. But, you know, <laughs> you got talent inside your organization. Are you waking up every day with a genuine curiosity about the talent that's already there and how you can feed it, nourish it, allow it to grow? Because if you give yourself permission to make your world so big and you just empower your people to have everything they could possibly want inside your world, watch what happens. All right, folks. Well, well, there you have it. Mr. David J. Neff, author of Ignite, Setting Your Culture on Fire with Innovation. I strongly suggest you guys check out his book. You can what's your what's your website, David? The website is theignitebook.com. And then uh, the company I, I work for that does a lot of this lean building and product development is clearhead.me. Very good. Very good. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode in the can. Hopefully you have enjoyed this. All the resources we discussed here are in the description below. And hopefully this has added value to you guys. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.